everybody, welcome to the IAIB Spotlight. I'm Andrew Zarin, and today I'm joined by someone that's been on the show a couple times, actually. Brian, how many times have we done this? You know, I think this might be one of the, only the second time we've done IAIB. You know, I've appeared on a couple of your other things, and of course we've had you on NSFW. We're like ships passing in the night, you and I. We're comrades at arms. We just jump over each other's ship and uh, hope for the best. <laughs> I mean, that's pretty much what happens. Another ship. Yeah, that's that's correct. Uh, Today's also Brian's birthday, so I want everybody in the chat room watching live to wish Brian a happy birthday. Yeah, dude, a lot of famous birthdays. It's me. I mean, I'm not the famous one, but uh, Betty White, Ben Franklin, Michelle Obama, Revision 3 co-founder, David uh, David Prager, um, Brett the Amtrak around Seville, and uh, and Jammer B works over at Twit. So it's like the whole world has a birthday today. The only person that I know that shares the same birthday as me is Dennis Rodman. <laughs> that's, the o- that's actually the only one that I know of. That 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 Dennis Rodman business uh, has been hilarious to watch. Somebody proposed to me that he thought that the reason he was so weird was because he was terrified about being able to come home in that interview. But then. Somebody pointed out, like, no, he's just a drunk a hole. Like, <laughs> Talk about right. somebody unravel in front of you. Yeah, I mean, no, it, it's, it's nutty. Weird. What do you expect? I mean, the guy was dying his hair for for years, and you know, so all the chemicals probably seeped in after years of just dying well, in a bizarre color. I mean, but, but also he's somebody who built his brand on being some being talented at basketball and outrageous. And then once you're no longer in the NBA, it's a little more difficult to. Uh, you know, I don't know to, to maintain that outrageous brand. Absolutely, and have basketball. He's so, a weird. Talk about weird. Uh, there's a lot of weird stuff happening uh, with uh, with like mainstream media. Like that's yeah. a prime focus if you think about it. Like it, out of all the things that we are covering in mainstream media, uh, that it was the big story for like three days that Dennis Rodman had a meltdown on CNN. Yeah. And you do something fascinating. You, you've been doing a show for a while with Tom Merritt. It, it was frame rate on Twit. Now you guys have taken the show independent. And it is the anti-mainstream media yeah. uh, type of coverage. I mean, you guys talk about kill, you know, cutting the cord, and the show's called Cord Killers. And I wanted to talk to you today about that because it is you're doing so many fascinating things, uh, regardless of the content, because let me just say, it is probably my favorite podcast to listen to right now. And I'm not oh, just saying that to you. No, well, I appreciate it. And what's funny is, you know, we didn't set out when it first started. The whole thing began because Tom was like, hey, I want to do a, a show about movies, television and viral videos or stuff. And and I like you, Brian. Let's do a show together. I'm like, great. So at first, like if you look at the early episodes, it's clear that we're trying to like cover kind of fanboy news. But that was that's a very that's a very crowded space. You know, you have your IO9s and all of your other places where uh, geek culture, uh, you know, uh, entertainment is covered. Uh, but the stories that kept popping up are all these stories about like Netflix and about people who are cutting the cord and, and ways to, to say screw you to the cable monopolies and all that. And uh, I guess, um, and weirdly, we were three years ahead of the movement gaining much steam. But over time, it became clear. It's like, wow, man, people really resonate with these stories that uh, that involve cutting the cord, and so we when we decided to go independent, we talked about calling it like cord cutters or whatever, because even that term isn't very well known. But uh, but for some reason, I was annoyed that that wasn't that was so wishy washy. It wasn't punk rock enough, and so <laughs> and I called them. I'm like, what about cord killers? And we're like, yeah. And so uh, we're still figuring out exactly you know the graphic um, you know the graphic bumps and and the character of the show is is coming through pretty quick. But man, I'm, am I happy with the response we've gotten and the, uh, the, the legitimacy of the story? People really dig hearing about these news stories and hearing about the, the earthquake that is happening to old media because nobody likes their, company, their cable company. Nobody likes the cable bill. Nobody likes the, distribu- the distribution model of cable companies. The content providers don't like it. The, the, the consumers don't like it. Everybody wants direct from the artist to the consumer. And that's what this movement is all about. And it's cool because we can talk about the arty side of things and what we're excited about. You know, House of Cards is one of the best dramas I've seen in my adult lifetime. Absolutely, yeah. You know, it was straight to Netflix. So, you know, we get to be excited and we get to preserve that fanboy aspect. You know, Game of Thrones, of course, is always a story because uh, it's, it's also an even better show, but it's trapped behind the paywall. And HBO is uh, is... 
obstinate about refusing to let episodes be sold in a timely manner. You know, a lot of these shows like your Breaking Bads or your uh, Walking Deads would have the episode available next morning for purchase, but HBO doesn't do that because they're very much married to the old model. But, but what's fascinating behind the show, regardless of the content, because the content is stellar, uh, it, it really – this is something that I talk to people all the time about, the, the whole cutting the cord aspect to getting media. Um, I got two younger brothers. They're both in their early 20s, and these are people that do not have cable. They don't care to watch anything on cable. They have their Netflix, and they got YouTube, and that is enough. But you are also part of this movement with what you're doing. You are also part of the cord – cutting movement because your show is an independent broadcast and you're doing you know really high quality stuff and you're putting it out well and part of that is the the massive think about this there's never been a time in the history of media where there was a shorter gap between someone who had a message and the ability to uh in a in a ground leveling quality of presentation get it out to the entire world and uh, you know it's it's a sweet spot and plus you know, we, we, when we decided to launch Cord Killers, we didn't even know what our revenue model was going to be. We, we just knew that we wanted to keep getting the word out and do our silly dance. And this is the big deal is, you know, we have a little bit of infrastructure here. You know, my studio uh, has got two or three cameras, two, a couple of computers, three, if you count a laptop, some decent mics and, and a decent broadband connection. Uh, but obviously, you, so the overhead isn't a lot, but we have to make some kind of money. And normally... What you have to do is you have to establish a fan base, get a whole bunch of numbers, and then either go out and hustle sales yourself or go to someone like PodTrack and say, I'm really super popular. Will you please sell ads for me? And around this time, I got, I, I got in touch with uh, Anthony over at uh, Patreon. And uh, Patreon is a new service. It was created by Jack Conti, the, uh, half of uh, Pomplamoose. Do you know them? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so Jack Conti was like uh, – was he figured out that YouTube's revenue distribution model is crap. And uh, like there's, there's just no money in YouTube. Even if you have a runaway hit, they send you a check for a couple thousand dollars and that's the end of it. Uh, so it's not enough for artists to live and thrive and survive doing their stuff on YouTube. But you're also, I mean, on top of that, you're kind of at the mercy of YouTube, right? God forbid they, they decide that you did something that violated that terms of service that they have. You're finished. Yeah. You're done. And one, once they cut you, you're done. Sure. Well, and, and there's also there's also talk about like they're squirrely about anyone doing uh, in show sponsorships, you know, like yeah. uh, uh, th- their thing is like, hey, man, if you're a partner, our job is to raise the money for you. And now you're off selling your own ads on your own stuff. And, uh, you know, right now they're being that they haven't moved too hard. But I've I've heard rumblings that they might be about to lay down the hammer and say no more ads on any partner shows. The most you could do is. Uh, have paid product placements in there. So we, at, at GFQ, we lost our partnership with YouTube because of that. What really? Yeah, ads in there, and so and so you you elected to just say, well, then I won't be a partner. Then. We actually we never put an ad on any of our videos through YouTube. We became a partner, and we never monetized, we never any, monetized of any of it because we knew that they they're kind of weird about double dipping in that sense, right? To have right. ads that you're placing and then their ads, so we never did it. And this went on for like a good year, and then one day we just got a letter saying that we violated the terms of service with their ad uh, revenue. That's amazing. That's and and I'll tell you what, like YouTube, uh, not the most uh, not, not the most uh, 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 friendly establishment to try to have a phone call with. No. You know, like you know, their customer support is nil, and you to get anything done, you got to go through endless pages. In fact, my my personal YouTube account is still not in good standing. I'm not allowed to uh, stream off of it because, uh, because like, uh, I don't know, a bunch of my videos, which were not monetized, uh, like I acknowledged copyright claims like, yeah, that's not my music, you know, whatever. Uh, just the same as all these do. But for some reason, some trigger got switched and there's literally no way I can fix it. And I don't know anyone at YouTube that, that has the ability to, to directly handle it. I guess, I mean, I'm talking to a couple of people, but they're both like, yeah, yeah, no, I'll get on that, and then nothing happens. Yeah, I, uh, I mean, I want to talk about the distribution aspect. I definitely want to touch on that, but I want to talk to you about how you're monetizing this, because you're not, current, I mean, right now, never see never, but you're not, you're right, you're not going to Podtrack and saying, okay, I know that this is going to be a hit of a show, I know we're going to be able to get X amount of viewers, uh, it kind of fits your model, uh, give us money. And we'll do live reads. You're not taking that approach currently. You're actually crowdfunding the entire thing. 
Right, but it's a different type of crowdfunding, and to me, it's a it's a much more important type of crowdfunding because normally what people do, they're like, I want to do blank, and so they, they do a Kickstarter, and you get a crap ton of money all at once for the Kickstarter, and then you launch something. Uh, Jeff Kanata's new show, Newest, Latest, Best, that's how he funded the launch of it. Um, you know, and obviously for for his show, there's a substantial amount of overhead. He needs to uh, uh, get assets, have uh, motion graphics, and build a set and all that stuff. So it it was the right call for that project. But you know, Cord Killers, like we already have most of the infrastructure. You know, we we'd like to improve everything, but on an, an ongoing basis. And it, it we the most important thing is we didn't want to miss a week. So uh, the way Patreon works is people become patrons of your show and they pledge a set amount per episode that they will pony up at the end. And it's like once a month, they're like, okay, you said you would pay a dollar every time they released a new video. They released four videos. So we're just going to charge a credit card $4 on there. And what's awesome about it from a content producer standpoint is you only have to get your fans to engage once. Make the mental decision once. I love him so much. I'm going to support him. And then you put it in, and then what's great is from that point, it becomes a recurring payment. And recurring payments are very sticky. Like, like for example, I, I leave recurring payments for stuff I actively hate. Like, I, I hardly ever use Hootsuite anymore. I was about to say Hootsuite. Did, did you really? <laughs> yeah, I, I had the same exact thing. I, I've, I've been paying them for months, and I haven't used it. Exactly. But, but, but it's just below. It's just low enough that you're like, ah, I, I'll get around to it. And then another month goes by or whatever. But imagine if even if you weren't using Hootsuite – you felt like you knew the guys at Hootsuite and you really supported what they were up to. Even if you didn't use it, every time you saw that on the bill, instead of being annoyed and mad, you'd feel kind of good. You're like, man, I'm supporting something, you know? And so even, and you're like, I'll get around to watching the back, ep- back episodes or at the very least you look, you're like, I like knowing that there's more of this art or news or whatever it is out there. So I think uh, uh, Patreon does a real service. The only, the only bummer about Patreon and it's a smart thing and a bummer is that it makes public uh, how well you're doing. And, and I think that's great because you want social proof. You want to help uh, people meet their goals. Uh, but, but the one thing that's off is that Patreon, and I've talked to them about this, and they're coming up with a solution. Uh, you can set a maximum per month limit. And uh, the idea being like, well, what if you pledge a dollar per video and then someone releases 12,000 videos overnight? Now, now you're screwed. Yeah. So, so you're just like, well, up to $5 a month or whatever. So because you can set uh, – so someone could theoretically, uh, I assume, set a total you know, uh, $5 per episode for, of Cord Killers with a max of $5 per month. And then, and then it's weird because you get this, this situation where someone looks, they're like, oh, they're, they're doing fine. They're getting this much per episode, when in reality we get much less. I know that uh, uh, our friends over at RageSelect.com were the ones who really got me started on Patreon. Uh, like on paper, I think their, their, their pledges are $900 per video, but they do 20 videos per month. And so it ends up, you know, realistically being like two, two hundred fifty, three hundred dollars per video. See, I, I think something like this is phenomenal for, uh, for podcasters, and I'll tell you why. A lot of people don't fit the mold of getting an advertiser, or working with PodTrack, or working with whoever. I know a lot of people that get significant numbers. I mean, they do tremendous. They're not, they're not uh, the top ten on iTunes, but they're doing pretty good numbers. But they can't attract an advertiser due to. A bunch of reasons due to the content or, uh, you know, it, it could be a tech show. And that market is really saturated with tech shows. Yeah, so, that's the thing. Oh, oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, so how do you what do you do if I'm doing an audible ad and you're doing an audible ad and, you know, we kind of have a crossover audience. We're both losing out on this, right? Because they're either going to use mine or yours. And plus, also, they can only sign up once for once. audible. And, 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 and there are people. This is the other thing that Patreon does is is uh, it opens up a revenue model where the benefit from the consumer is directly proportional to the amount they love it. So it's like previously, let's say let's say you kind of liked GFQ and you were crazy super fan of NSFW. Well, then if uh, if you buy from Netflix on one and Audible on the other, then you've extracted the same amount of support for both, even though you yeah. love one way 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 more. Absolutely, uh, yeah. Whereas now it's like their subscriptions are like, you're like, oh, I like NSFW to the tune of, you know, a Nicola show. And by the way, even those little Nicola show things matter. Like you get 20 people throwing in a Nicola show. That's a dollar. That's $12 a year. It's like that number matters in a big way. But then, but then you're like, well, oh, but I'm crazy for GFQ. And then I want to give five, $10 a show. And 
yeah, I, I don't know. I'd say there's something there's something right about that to me, where it's like it, it takes what was previously wasted capital with your audience and monetizes it in a way that helps support. It makes possible micro operations like ours, being a micro network. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we we have a bunch of shows that do pretty well here on, on GFQ. Uh, this is a separate entity, obviously. This is for the IIB, but we are competing with each other. And that doesn't make sense to me that if I take an ad and we have, you know, and I'm sure you've done it at Twit where, you know, you guys have a Netflix ad all across the board. So now you're competing with each other to an, ex- to an extent. Right. Uh, and, right. Or, you know, or, or we're giving like the general Twit code where everybody, where, where we don't necessarily get the credit for tracking even internally. Like it does well for, for Twit. They, they get the, the, the cost per acquisition. But, you know, since it's a tweet code, it's like who knows which of the shows was the one that did it. So it might be that the smallest numbered show is the one that was the most lucrative. So which, which to be honest, probably is the case with NSFW. You know, we don't have a big fan base, but they are the, they are the loudest fan base that, uh, that I, I've ever run across. I, I still get people that send me an email every couple of weeks saying like, hey, I saw you on NSFW. I saw you on the old episode. So like it's always something. Like I think once you're connected to NSFW, you're always connected. <laughs> we're like we're like the mob in that regard. Yeah, <laughs> Try to get out, we keep pulling you back in. You got to be killed out to leave. That's uh, right. Which which is phenomenal. I mean, I I love it, and it shows that there's a dedicated audience. Um, and you brought up something interesting. You said even the nickels and the dimes and the quarters count to something because at the end of the day, it's going to build up. Um, are you guys thinking about doing stuff like Amazon affiliate links and stuff like that? So uh, one of the best attitudes on this that I've run across, are you familiar with Dan Carlin, uh, the guy who does Hardcore History and the yeah. Common Sense? Yeah, 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 yeah. Super talented guy, really, really awesome. I got to meet him uh, when I had a show out in Oregon uh, last year, and he says he thinks about his operation uh, like, like a stool, and you got different legs of the stool. And, uh, and by doing so, you diversify ways people can support you. And as long as each of those legs... You know, maybe maybe at one, any given time, one of them may be uh, stronger than the others. But as long as you you are diversified, you're good. You know, he he does direct donations, which is one leg. He does uh, Amazon affiliate links, and Amazon affiliate links is smart because it doesn't cost anyone else anything more. All it does, and you know, to be honest, like I, I kind of cringe to think like how much I spend on Amazon and how I have no idea whose code uh, is using because once somebody clicks on an Amazon affiliate link. Uh, for the next 30 days or until they click on a different Amazon affiliate link, every, everything they buy it's will go to, to that guy, which, which is great. It's great for, for the content producers. It's great for Amazon. It's great for the consumer because it doesn't cost them anything. Um, and then uh, uh, he also uh, – oh, a direct donation, uh, Amazon links. I uh, forgot his other – oh, uh, and sponsors. You know, every, Once every so often, he'll, he'll have a ting.com or any, uh, one of those audible podcast.com. And uh, he had a fourth one, which will come to me shortly. But, uh, but it all – oh, and selling the old episodes. Uh, he, he sends out the, uh, the hardcore history episodes as is for free. And then after they get beyond like three months or whatever, they go into the archive where they're available for a buck a show. And uh, like for how cheap that content is, I mean hardcore history is essentially a three-hour audiobook every time he puts one out. And, he's only, and he does it for free uh, with a little ad at the end. And just asks you after the free period is closed to give them, you know, ninety nine cents a dollar. Are you kidding yeah. me? Yeah, it's it's, and and it seems like he's he's staying afloat and doing very very well with that. Do you think that the for many podcasters, it's always been I'm going to do a show, I'm going to get an audience, and then I'm going to get an advertiser. Do you think we're starting to now in 2014? Where this is a maturing market. I think we're at the point where we're kind of understanding how to engage with the audience and what's important when you're looking at numbers. Is it the number or is it the engagement? Uh, we have 100 people in our chat room. Uh, that's phenomenal. There's 100 people technically engaging with what we're saying. We could have had 20,000 people and nobody's engaging. That, that's essentially worthless at the end of the day. Are we realizing like, okay, there are different stuff. We could uh, do donations. We could crowdfund. We don't have to sell a product but we could ask for favors from our audience and they're going to support it because they like what we're doing. Are we well, at that is, point? Uh, yes, yes, to an extent. Uh, the, the, here, here's the way I see the situation is that uh, think about where we were just five years ago as social media was, was new. Now, in fact, let's go back before social, social media. Let's go back to 10 years ago. 
the only way for you to know the value of some of someone's presence uh, of of his connection with his audience was numbers for like things you've sold. You could say you know ten million copies sold of this of this book or whatever. Or number of live viewers, Nielsen style, which is like it's on television and we know, you know, 8 million people tuned in. So therefore, it must be very, very uh, good to invest your ad dollars in. Uh, Then we got to the social media side. And all of a sudden, that undercut a huge chunk of the value of that stuff. Because what did it matter if if people were only tuning into HBO in order to watch Louis C.K.? And now Louis C.K. is is communicating with them directly and and his numbers are huge on the number of, of subscribers. Then he's able to he has powerful leverage to and you know is able to do experiments like you know take releasing his own specials and so on. But again, you're still stuck in the social proof of how many units are sold. Now, uh, bring us up to this moment. Moment, uh, all of a sudden, it, it, how many Twitter followers you have, how many uh, YouTube or YouTube subscriber you have, kind of matters less than the level of engagement you have. And that's why Absolutely. we're seeing the rise of services like Clout that say uh, this is how much. How much noise can you make if you say a thing and a hundred thousand people, you know, retweet it to their friends? Obviously, it doesn't matter if you only have two followers. You have the two followers that matter, and you have tremendous influence. And that's what advertisers want. They want people who other people trust, so that when the people do their content, they're able to say, "No, seriously, I genuinely love Netflix. Please use my code. You'll support me." And uh, that's something that you could never buy before. I mean, I guess you could buy the illusion of it back in the day, but but nowadays, going straight to the person, essentially, we're all brand managers for our own content, and and that makes us more valuable to advertisers, which keeps afloat operations like these. I recently spoke to someone, and they um they they do a podcast, and it's a very niche style podcast, and it's it's a, it's a simple home improvement thing. Uh, mm-hmm. That he does. And he was talking, you know, we were corresponding online and he was telling me, you know, I, I want to get my viewers up. Uh, you know, we, we have about a thousand downloaders a week. And the way that he does it is that people donate money to continue to show similar to what you're doing. But he's doing it more like, hey, if you want to support the show. Going. Yeah. Almost. He said, uh, I mean, this is according to him, about 75 percent of his audience is donating something to him every month. It could be a yeah. dollar or it could be ten dollars. And I'm thinking if you're getting one dollar. From every from seventy five percent of your audience, that's seven hundred and fifty bucks a month. That's well, phenomenal. And, and think about uh, think about how little it takes. Like the, or, or, or the reverse of it. Think about how fatty media operations were thirty years ago. Unbelievably expensive. You had expensive equipment. You had film. You had uh, you had union labor. You had gaffers, key grips, all this stuff. And and even if you wanted to do a show like we're doing right now. You still, in order to get anything decent that people that didn't look like community access uh, television, you had you had to spend inordinate amounts of money, which meant that the gap of possibility, right? So it doesn't matter how good your message is; it had to be able to get three million people to tune in every week in order for it to work. We're not at that anymore. Now, now the mess. Now more than ever, the message is all that matters, and because you could be so niche, and because the overhead is so low. You, uh, it, it, it makes possible so much more. For example, I, I can't help but think about like, uh, uh, you do, uh, are you still doing the, the hair replacement show? Yeah, we do the hair loss show, the bald truth. Yeah, there we go. The bald truth. Uh, that audience is, and I'm going to go ahead and go out on a limb and bet that worldwide you are the number one program dedicated to the subject of hair loss. Is that, is that right? The, uh, the bald truth is the number one hair loss program in the world for 15 right. years, for 15 okay. years, number one. Oh my gosh! You guys have been doing this for fifteen. years? I, I haven't. Spencer's been doing it for fifteen years, and his story is fascinating because he started out terrestrial radio, and he was a pay-for-play guy. He got his own sponsors and underwriters to support the show, and it became a syndicated show. That's awesome. Yeah. So, so think about this: like, if you are an advertiser, like uh, you know, like Pfizer or whatever, and you have a new drug, it's like there's nothing more valuable than this extraordinarily targeted. It doesn't matter if it's only. You know, thirty, forty thousand people compared to all the millions of watching on television or whatever. These are the most qualified leads you will ever have to bring to bring your ad to them, and uh, that is only possible when you could do a show that hits sm- laughably small numbers in the network television, laughably small in the cable television, uh, and uh, but but just right for 
little micro networks like us. Yeah, it, it's unbelievable. Now, I want to I, I, I could talk to you about the sponsorship aspect and the community aspect forever, but I do want to get a little technical with you because we are facing a, a huge problem here at GFQ. We were using blip.tv for the longest yep. time. They were a partner of ours. They provided us with unlimited bandwidth and unlimited storage and whatever we needed. Company got bought. Uh, they're changing the way that they're doing stuff, and they just recently sent out an email to virtually everybody saying that we're discontinuing distribution to iTunes. Uh, that's not good because if you are you are a podcast, a lot of your viewers are coming from iTunes. So what do you do? Now, you guys are hosting the audio I know on archive.org. Correct. Uh, are you guys doing that with the video as well? I believe so. I believe both of them. Now, archive.org is, uh, for those of you who don't know, uh, check it out. It's amazing, first of all. It's an amazing playground that's, uh, whose sole stated intention is to preserve the internet for future generations. They got the Wayback Machine where you can look at versions of the websites you love from 1999 or you know, go to historic times and see right after 2001 what was on them. Uh, but uh, they also do this video hosting and, and audio hosting, and they're largely... I believe donation funded. You know, I don't see many ads there. Uh, so I, I, I don't know where their money is coming from, but I know that as part of their mission statement, you can host there for free. Now, I, I, it's not the fastest hosting in the world, but again, that's the nice thing about podcasts is it's all offline content. You know, if you want real time, then you'll go watch it on YouTube because it'll load instantly and then you're playing. But if you don't mind or if you want it offline, that's what podcasting is, is good for. So it, it'll be like an overnight kind of download. Have you, what kind of speeds are you getting with it? And this is the problem. I mean, again, you said we're, we're smaller networks, we're smaller brands. Yes, we have a reach and we have an audience, but can we afford to spend $2,000 for, you know, uh, hosting for our video podcast? Because if your show gets popular, guess what? You're going to need to upgrade and it's going to become a problem. Well, and I, and I guess that's the, the big question is uh, if you. Man, and first of all, I just t- typed into the chat. I was asking if anyone knew what speeds they get their stuff from archive.org. Uh, I'll tell you, I'm kind of okay with that fact. Yes, what you're describing is definitely a problem for somebody getting started uh, with their storytelling. But it is, by definition, an extraordinarily good problem to have. And if you have that problem, then it means, as long as you're being smart about how you handle your finances, it means that they're, the pie is now big enough that you could carve out a piece to cover the bandwidth side of things. It, it, it's, it's actually interesting because with audio, I think we've come to the point that we understand how to host it, even live streaming, right? We, we've figured out a way to live stream. But when it comes to video hosting, because it's so bandwidth and, and storage reliant, uh, it, it's still a major problem for a lot of people. Now, I think we're moving our stuff to archive.org as well. Uh, uh-huh. Some of our stuff we're actually going to start testing today to see how it does. I know for the audio, it's actually really fast speeds. We're getting about five. If if a couple of people are downloading, I think people are saying they're getting about five megabits, which is actually so, really good. Uh, I, I I have a if, let's go on a side journey here. As long as we're talking about distribution methods, uh, recently Justin TV has changed the way their servers handle stuff, and now in order to get a smoother experience for everybody at home, uh, they they have increased the lag between an event happening and it showing up on Justin TV. The, the net result is that you get fewer you know, hiccups and drops or whatever. However, it is agonizing for a comedy show or an interactive show or any kind of talking to the audience kind of show where you say something and there's a full 14 to 16 seconds till somebody's able to give a response to you on there. Like, have you dealt with that, or is there a better option than Justin.tv? So we, we use uh, multiple CDNs to distribute all our shows. So we have Dailymotion, we have Vaughn, we have JTV, and we have Ustream. And the reason why we started doing that is to offer different bandwidth uh, and different resolutions on all the different streams. Right. But all these companies have got, become really good at transcoding and doing variable bit rate and different resolutions. Uh, Daily Motion does a 240, 380, 480, and 720 stream. Uh, Vaughn is not doing it yet. Uh, Justin does it on some accounts, and Ustream does it as well. Uh, Ustream does it for us. I don't know if they're doing it for everybody. So it's really not necessary to be on every single one to offer something different for everybody, but each one has a very dedicated and connected uh, community. So there are people on Ustream that watch us only on Ustream. They will never watch us anywhere else. Same thing with yeah. JTV, same thing with Vaughn. 
Daily Motion, not so much because they're just building the live streaming aspect to what they do, but it's kind of become important for us to be on all these different sites because we're able to reach people that we normally wouldn't. So rather than just going to our website to find us, there are people that are stumbling on our show every day just on Ustream. And you know what? Some of them come and go and some of them stick around, but I think that's really good advertising for what you're doing, right? It's a billboard on a, oh, on a major website. Yeah, absolutely. Well, especially if you can partner with the website and and get them excited about uh, featuring you on their front page or getting getting the word out on it. Um, yeah, man. No, that's great. I'm glad. I'm glad to hear that. Which of those services is the lowest latency in your opinion? Uh, the latency shifts, uh, and it comes to a couple uh, based on your bandwidth as well. You know, if there's a little hiccup on your side or a hiccup on the computer, the latency will shift. So I noticed with Daily Motion, I'm at about three seconds. What? Uh, three, three that's to amazing. three to five, and then it could possibly become ten. But most of the time, it's pretty stable. Dude, uh, I am. I'm doing I'm, it right now. So let, let's do this live on the air. Okay, put my okay, hand all up. Right. One, two, three, three seconds. Uh, wait, what? All right, signing up for a for a Daily Motion account right now. Do you need any kind of special? Um, you, right uh, now, you like, do. Like, right now, uh, because it's still in in testing. Uh, yeah. it's only open to a small group of people. Uh, okay. If anybody, if our viewers want to get on Daily Motion, you can send me an email. Uh, I could give you instructions on how to do it. What's, I'm actually what's your gonna email address. I'm about to send you an email. <laughs> send it to uh, guysfromqueens at gmail dot com, and uh, right. I'll, I'll see if I could, whoever I could help. I mean, I, I think I spoke to them already about your account, but they're really getting into the live streaming aspect. And the reason why I really like them is because they actually give you a piece of the ads. And I know this is something that you have battled, and so do I. When we're on Ustream or JTV, I understand they need to make money. I understand they need to do this to to kind of keep offering the service but it's a little invasive when there's an ad every 15 15 minutes on Ustream. well and plus also that that it it's not even like you get to choose when to drop them i know that uh, like twitch tv uh you know man versus game will do something where he'll say now we're going to take an ad and then it plays an ad for a bit so at least you have control but like uh, especially in a show that could be electric and you don't know or maybe your favorite topics finally coming up and then all of a sudden an ad pops up and you're just raging which i'm sure is not what they want for the advertisers the ad, the advertisers aren't pay, aren't paying the money so that they can have people actively hate their brands for interrupting this stuff now and here's the thing i mean i totally my dog does not like the ad model by the way he does yeah, not no, like, like looking at ads uh, he's very <laughs> upset at it but I under I totally understand it, and there are people that get really upset at having the ads. But there are ways around it. You know, there's there's stuff that we could do, and there, like I'm not going to pay a thousand dollars a month to Ustream to have ad free. Is that is that what it costs? Uh, it, well, a lot more than that at times. I mean, it depends on oh. what you use, depending on the package. But something like Daily Motion, I think the audience understands that the ads have to be there, but they're more comfortable with the fact that you're getting a piece of that ad so if daily motion is giving you half of that ad revenue for every time they go to click on your video i think they're going to be okay with it because you're actually getting something out of it yeah no that's a good point uh i wonder how often do the ads pop up on are they totally random on daily motion uh, as well I, I think they're doing pre-roll uh and i believe you could kind of push and schedule your mid-roll see so All you right. could tell it okay push the mid-roll right now yeah, well, in that case, I mean, then that's ideal, right? It's, it's like, look, you got to, you got to bring some kind of value to the network to do it. Uh, I'll tell you what, I, I wonder also. Keep in mind, you know, we talked about the Patreon thing. One of the benefits can be if you hit a certain number on Patreon that uh, that that will go ad free. It's like it, it gives us enough money that we can pay Justin TV or whoever or, or Daily Motion to to cut out the ads. So again, you have that fidelity. Of interest, where it's like if somebody wants your show to be ad free so much that they're throwing money at you, you could spend some of that money to make it ad free, and that's definitely something we're trying to look into for uh, for cord killers. By the way, if anyone works at Justin TV and wants to give me a call, that'd be great. <laughs> yeah, oh, same here too. I mean, I'll, I'll I'll take what you guys get, but tell me about the distribution methods. Where are you putting the show? Uh, and you know, iTunes obviously, but are you doing anything different when it comes to distribution of the of the podcast? It's uh. Th- yeah, yes, there are two things we're going to do. Uh, first of all, we're also – Cord Killers is evolving. We are figuring out what ways are um, the right ways to monetize stuff and, uh, and which ones will uh, get us the greatest visibility. So we're trying to find partners to get the content out 
because right now we are speaking and performing for folks who already liked the stuff that we were doing, right? And that's great. We want it. We want to capture those hearts, and we want to continue to give them the cord cutting news that they that they enjoyed before. Uh, but if we're going to expand, we need to get the word out for uh, for other stuff. And so one of the things that we're doing is we are taking uh, every Monday we do an episode and we post the full episode as as soon as we can. Uh, as a perk to Patreon subscribers, uh, we do like a, a, a talk, uh, basically a spoiler show, uh, which, by the way, I haven't told, talked to Tom yet, but I want to call it it's spoiler in time. Uh, and uh, that goes directly to patrons with uh, or patrons. That's what they're called. They're uh, patrons immediately after the show comes out on YouTube a couple of days later uh, on the feed for folks who aren't shelling out bucks. Um, but then what we're doing is we're taking because every time. Uh, because this is such a niche subject, there are certain topics that keep coming up. For example, on last Monday's show, we, t- we did a story about the, the court filing for, uh, at the Supreme Court for the Aereo case. Aereo is a service, whatever. You'll, you'll see all this. And then our guest was like, well, I'm not really familiar with this case. What's the deal with Aereo? What, what's going on? So we gave like a three-minute uh, primer. On, it's like, well, here's why – it's legally in, in limbo. Here's what they're trying to do. Here's why it's going to the Supreme Court. Here's what it would mean for that and so on. Like once that discussion ended, that's a valuable little chunk that explains the entire Aereo story. So now uh, over the course of the week, we're taking out little five to, uh, three to five minute chunks and posting them as individual fold uh, files on our uh, YouTube page. The idea being uh, nobody is going to hand around a full hour plus episode of Cord Killers to all their friends. But if somebody's really into Aereo and happens to watch uh, Cord Killers, then when somebody says, what's Aereo, that's going to be what they drop and embed into their blog posts or forward around to their friends. Like uh, playing the game at two levels, the, the macro level where it's like we make the hour-long content uh, and then the micro level where we take out chunks of the content that tell individual stories that can be used uh, in, in all kinds of distributions. Uh, it does two things. First of all, it it gets in and gets out without screwing everyone up in a very short amount of time, which number two informs everyone. And number three serves as an advertisement for cord killers to come watch the entire show. Are you putting the entire show on YouTube as well? Yes. Yes. That's something that I've actually, we've had many discussions over. Do we want to put the entire show on YouTube or do we want to drive that to our website? That's, you know, kind of be, everything is being tracked uh, or, you know, do we just put clips on YouTube? You know, it's it, I, I understand the motivation to say, no, we need everyone to go to our portal or whatever. Uh, but the, the harder you drive at that, if, there are some people who will only live in YouTube. They're like, I don't do podcasts. I, don't, I, I, I will never download iCatcher or, or, or FeedBurner. Or I Pod- find that amazing. I, I, I actually find that amazing that somebody will go to YouTube and watch you know, one of our shows – uh, a couple, I mean, a couple hundred people or a couple thousand people, depending on the episode. But I find that amazing that you're that dedicated to watch it, but you're so involved in the YouTube experience where you don't go anywhere else. You know, it's and and uh, I'm guilty of that kind of thing. There's things I'm genuinely dumb about, and I do in a dumb way because it's comfortable, and that's just it's it's because think about it this way. I found your show on YouTube. I love your show on YouTube. Every time it comes up, I watch it because I'm subscribed on YouTube. Uh, and I understand that there's some other experience you keep talking about, but I can't jump directly to that experience. And I think that's the key. Like if it was a but- if it was download the GFQ app right now and all the episodes are yours, then I might do that. But but what I don't want to do is first go look up a, a podcast situation because you got to be a podcast guy now. Then once you get a download and even though you don't know how podcasts work or how to find them, do a search for GFQ network and then find ourselves. Then you'll see that there's a whole bunch of shows. Make sure to pick the one you like and click it and then it'll download automatically. And by automatically, uh, you'll just have to every week, you'll open up your podcast because now you have to be a podcast kind of guy. Uh, you'll have to, now you have to remember to open that app and then download the stuff or whatever. Like it's, I, I understand that's enough trouble that I can see somebody saying like there probably is value there, and I probably would like it a lot. However, I don't. That sounds like more homework than I want to do. It's right here on YouTube. Maybe yeah. I just watch. And this is, I mean, this is the importance of being everywhere you can, right? Uh, because people have are committed to ecosystems and they don't want to leave that. Uh, right. And and it's surprising. Like with Daily Motion, for example, we not only do our do we do our live video, we also archive everything on daily motion 
it's a giant billboard for me. Am I getting? Am I making money off of the the views? Not really. Yes, maybe a little bit off the the ads that are placed there, but generally I'm using it as a billboard for all the other stuff that we're doing. But I would not have gotten those couple thousand people if I didn't put it there. So let's let's talk about the the money side of thing and launching stuff because I know a lot of of the folks who watch uh, IAIB IAIB <clears throat> I can talk uh, are are you know trying to get started in something. I would say personally, and you can agree or disagree, that if your goal is to get rich and you have no established brand, uh, that it's not going to happen overnight. Like like right now, the reason you should be playing the broadcast game on the internet is not to make crazy bank at the moment. No, absolutely I would not. Say, but, but, but I would say that, uh, that it is the, still the best time to get in if your goal is to, uh, to grab some of the free land out here right now. Uh, if, if, uh, I guess what I'm saying is this. Uh, in the 1970s, nobody got into cable for the money. And in fact, uh, in the 1970s, cable went deregulated and they just had you know, people who want to do content. You had Ted Turner who saw this, this vast wasteland where nobody was watching and said, yes, I shall build here. And then meanwhile, the big networks, your, uh, your NBC, your CBS, your ABC, they were like, why on earth would we put anything into this? There's no value there. And so meanwhile, it's the early player, it's the early mover who grabs all those hearts and minds. That's where HBO uh, company came out of nowhere, dominates the field. Uh, you know, Ted Turner, all, CNN, first 24-hour cable news network, which nobody watched at first. But cable, cable changed was- over the last decade, Brian. I mean, if you think about it, even in the 90s, if you had a show that was on cable, it was still looked down upon. Oh, sure, sure. As a matter of fact, um, the, the, the cable, um, cable television was not eligible for the Emmys. They had to do the Cable Ace Awards. Yeah. Back at, and then finally they, they went into the Emmys. And now we're seeing uh, digital distribution uh, showing up at the Emmys, so at least it's happening faster. But the point is uh, uh, early movers grab the space. Late movers get screwed. And in fact, uh, CNBC is well known as a business network right now, but it did not launch as that. CNBC was supposed to be just cable NBC. Hey, man, oh, NBC late to the game looks over and says, oh, I guess people are doing cable. Uh, Fine, we'll do CNBC. It'll be NBC on cable. But they showed up too late. And the niche that they wanted to occupy was already filled by like USA Network and, and TBS and so on. And so because they were late, they had to rebrand and, and they're like, well, let's pick a niche that's not filled at all. Let's be the only business 24-hour news station. And that's where CNBC came from. We're seeing the exact same thing happen in the digital space because like, uh, you've got uh, – the players aren't the old media. When I say AMC doesn't have a huge online presence, it's the new guys. It's the funnier dies. It's the YouTubes. It's the, the Dignations. It's the Twit TVs. It's the GFQs that, uh, that are establishing – the territory early on. And if you are in it for the long term, then it's still an extraordinarily good time to be in this game. Where do you see, what do you see happening at this year? Because it seems like 2014 will be a pivotal year for podcasts. Uh, a lot of mainstream crossovers happening right now. Um, we started seeing it in 2012, but I feel like 2013 it really got saturated with a lot of pre-existing you know, celebrities coming over. Uh, and a lot of people are worried. A lot of traditional podcasters, the guys that have been doing this for eight years, you know, from the beginning, are kind of worried that it's going to step on their toes a little bit. Uh, I actually think it's a positive for podcasts. I think it's more mainstream exposure to podcasts. And if I'm kind of into what you're saying, Brian, if I'm into uh, just even even the the cord killer movement, I'm yeah. now. If I enjoy your show, I'm going to be more inclined to check out another show that kind of talks about the same stuff, and I'm going to discover more stuff. Well, it, it's, here, here's the problem. The problem is what you're describing is a situation where the pie is growing no matter what. Like it's growing for all of us, but it feels or you notice that your slice of the pie is smaller because so many people are coming in. Uh, and I think that's the emotional visceral thing. Uh, first of all, you're right. It's nothing but good that a Joseph Gordon-Levitt, you know, says the future's on television. Uh, of television is on the internet, and he does th- these videos or whatever. They are bringing their fans here. But when when somebody shows up, like when Joe Rogan launches the Joe Rogan Experience, somebody who's traditionally from television and and has his independent program. Uh, yeah, all of a sudden you might have been number one with 8 million viewers per year or whatever. Now all of a sudden you're number two because he's got 20 million viewers per, per year. Uh, but that's a bigger pie and it's going to escalate you going to 9 million. It may feel smaller. You will, you, your ranking will go from being number one 
down to say number 40 or whatever because you got so many celebrities above you now. Uh, that doesn't matter. What matters is, is your viewership bigger or smaller because all you were enjoying before was the delusion that you were unique and special and better than everyone else. But the only reason it felt that way is because the pond was small. Now the pond got bigger and there are bigger fish around you. Even though you're better off, you may feel like it's smaller, but in which case you just need to get over it because you're still bigger than you used to be. There's like four metaphors in there, by the I, way. I think they were perfect because I, I've spoken to people from the podcast alley days, you know, when they were yeah. the, before iTunes. And the, everybody apparently was in the top ten of podcast alley. Everybody. Uh, yeah. whoever you, whoever I've ever spoken to from like the, the early days of like, you know, I was number five on podcast alley, but how many people were actually watching? Could have been 500 yes. people. You could have been number one with a thousand people or 2000 people. Now you could be number 50, like you said, and you could have 10 times that audience. Yes. And uh, be in every way better off. And yet you'll, you'll feel diminished because you got some bogus number that was fake to begin with. That was only a reflection of how small the playing field was. Uh, now, now we went from ponds to playing fields. Uh, the, but but the, look, it's it's getting bigger and better for everyone in this business, and it's only going to do more and more as you figure out uh, structurally how to remove as as make it as efficient as possible from your thoughts, your ideas, your personalities to uh, people who will resonate with that. Before we wrap up, Brian, because I know I know you got to get out of here. It's your birthday. Uh, stellar chat room, and a lot of questions are coming in. Also, somebody asked me what you think of using devices like Roku and Apple TV and. Uh, these yeah, no, distribution platforms fact, for podcasts and stuff that we're doing. Yeah, well, we're we're already we're already in talks about getting a Roku app developed. We had a number of people volunteer to help us make that happen. It's like you need to be thinking. Everything is fragmenting to a level you can't believe. And the people who are going to win are the people who put in the time and the energy and the effort to run around and pick up all the little pieces uh, over here. So so imagine uh, you know it, look we're as artists we're all lazy. We want to just do our art and have that be all that is. Those days are dead. Unless you're a megastar, unless you're a Lady Gaga, you can't have, you can't outsource everything else to someone else and you just do your art. You will have to think like an entrepreneur. You will have to think like a personal brand uh, manager and you'll have to figure out how to get enough from a bunch of tiny spaces in order to uh, build a pie out of it big enough for you. God, I don't know what it is with me and the metaphors. A lot today. of metaphors today. But here's, here's where I see the importance of Roku. Roku is not just for the hardcore enthusiast anymore, right? It's not for the people that are behind the cord killer, uh, cord cutter and the cord killer movement, right? It, these are regular people. My mother-in-law has a Roku. My, my, my mother-in-law has a Roku. That's a, that, and in fact, it's the first Roku I used was, was from my parents-in-laws. And it's like they are the last people I would expect to do a cord-cutting device. But to them, it's like, well, this is the thing that puts the Netflix on your TV. Absolutely. And, like, and, and that's the way it should be. And, and, and that's amazing because these are regular people, right? Outside of our little bubble, outside of the, the hundred people that are in the chat room that know how to use this. These are people that just want to turn it on and get it to work. And Netflix yep. has, has done a tremendous job at making it okay and making it easy for people to consume digital media, online media, outside of the cable companies. But for us, like we have a Roku app. I get emails from people that have never listened to a podcast. These are people that don't know what a podcast is. They just happen to stumble in that app store and they just downloaded the first thing that they saw. Yeah. That is phenomenal. And that is what we need. We need well, non techies normal people that don't go you know searching itunes for podcasts to discover our content and i think that's the biggest problem with audio uh audio podcasts because we don't have that in the car yet it's not there uh yes and uh, well although we are getting you know you have apps like stitcher and and you know eye and all these podcast aggregation things Stitcher's particularly great because it's kind of like a pandora sit thing that just sort of says pretty sure you'll like this and and this is kind of like the other thing yeah but you know what the problem with that is you still need okay well i got my phone okay i got the app i downloaded the app i signed into the app okay fine i gotta now bluetooth this to my car okay uh, I got to do that every time I get in, and oh, then I got to find the station. You're saying to take on uh, like a Sirius XM thing, you know, where where like instead of that, just built in structurally to the car, you just flip it on, flip it kinda, on, kinda and like, Court Killers is on at four. Boom! I know the channel to go to. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I think that's great, and I'll tell you, it's those small structural changes that make an enormous difference in in resonating with the population. It's the kind of thing where you would think. Uh, 
you would you would think it it's it, it's doesn't matter. Sorry, I'm trying to collect my thoughts here. You would think that such a tiny difference would not impact people because after all, if they like the content, they can still get the content. They can go there directly or whatever. But there is a tremendous difference, as we just discussed, with staying inside the YouTube ecosystem versus having to walk outside that ecosystem. And I, I think whoever cracks that is going to uh, derive a significant benefit because it's great being able to watch and listen to what you want, when you want, whenever you want it. It's, but, but I'll tell you what, like I'm dealing with it right now. Uh, my friend, Andrew Maine, just launched, launched a show on A&E called Don't Trust Andrew Maine. And the first two episodes are available free on, on AETV.com. Uh, in my own living room with my in-laws there, I realized that uh, they're going to leave in like 10 minutes and I want to show them some of the show. And I was like, what's the fastest, easiest way to put this on the, in, in the living room? And I realized I, I, you know, I've, I've, got, I've got an Xbox. I've got, I got all these iDevices. I've, uh, I've got laptops or whatever. And because there wasn't a simple way to just throw the content from this one, because Xbox, you need a, a specific app, and any television didn't happen to have an app on the Xbox, so I wasn't able to do it. Uh, you know, my, my, uh, wouldn't help with an Apple uh, TV, Apple TV. Uh, and eventually, I just had to run to the other room, grab my laptop, come back, plug in the HDMI, open the website, and do it. And as I was doing it, I was thinking, just stupid, stupid. This is so stupid. I'm spending five full minutes just to set this up so they can watch a bit of television. It's like, <laughs> why is this not built into televisions? Why is this not built into one box that can do everything? So in that regard, it was extremely frustrating. But in another regard, uh, it's only going to get better, man. I mean, and of course, that's what Cord Killers is all about. I, I think this year is going to be is going there's going to be a big movement to kind of abandon this cable model. Uh, I'm one of these people, and I and I'm really really into the whole the entire movement to get rid of cable because my cable bill is about three hundred dollars a month. Ugh. Uh, and you know we got a ton of cable boxes in the house, and we got a TV in every room, and and that's my own stupidity. But I've noticed my wife and I we don't really watch any network television. We really don't watch anything live anymore. Everything that we're all the media that we're consuming is online or via you know Apple TV or Roku, Netflix, Hulu, whatever it is. Right. And I think a lot of people face the same problem with. Do I, I'm going to miss something if I cut this, right? If I get rid of cable, I'm going to miss whatever it is. And we've added up the hours. We probably watch 45 minutes of cable television a day. Yeah. At, well, at most. It, here's, here's the crazy part is uh, once you co- cut the cable, uh, once you cut the cord, you, you will immediately find other ways to occupy that. Because think about it, $300 a month. If, if that is just your cable bill, uh, I know for me, I was paying like 215 and that was bundled uh, uh, television, phone, and internet. And now I've dropped two of those. Uh, I have Uma for my phone service for the landline. Yes, I still have landline. I got kids. Shut up. Uh, the uh, uh, the uh, internet is $99 and we don't have cable, which means I'm saving $120 a month basically, which means with a budget of $120 a month, you can buy so many episodes of everything you want. Anything and, and everything, yeah. You will never spend $120 a month on individual episodes at, at $1.99 an episode. 60 shows, 60 programs. If it's out there and you could, you could buy it, it's yours instantly and you'll, you'll be fine. The, uh, yeah, so, so now it's like I just buy a season of, of Archer or I, I, I get a season pass for uh, you know, whatever. It's, it, it's amazing how quickly you get around it. A lot of people hang on to due to sports. Um, I'm kind of a sports guy. I watch yeah. it. I'm not a crazy sports guy. I watch the Super Bowl. I don't. It's but for me, like for example, the WWE is doing something really groundbreaking in the yeah. sense that they're taking their archives, everything that they have, and I think they have over a hundred thousand hours. They're putting it all on their online network. Plus, they're offering live, and they're going to have a live schedule, and they're putting their pay per views on there. This is something that I really didn't see happening right now due to all the ties to the networks and kind of the networks. If you're on television, guess what? They kind of have you and yep. they kind of dictate what you're going to do because if your contract is about to re-up, they may not give you that $100 million five-year deal. Right. Um, can you see the other major franchises doing that? The NFL kind of saying, okay, we're going to say hell with this. We're going to put everything online. 
the only, I certainly see them using the threat of this immediately, but I think truthfully we're a few years out from seeing it actually happen. But we're already seeing stuff nibbling at the edges, uh, although I will say right now big sports is very much in the pockets of the, uh, of the broadcast networks. And there's money uh, because they all make money. Yeah, yeah, no, no, and, and for the moment, but, but then again, they know that it's coming down the, the pike. You know, it's like uh, HBO is starting to experiment on the sides with, uh, like they did a, a Nordic HBO in Norway only. You could sign up for, uh, for just HBO digitally set, sent over for like eight bucks a month or whatever. Uh, and you're also starting to see them put massive efforts into uh, HBO Go is a fantastic service where pretty much if anything HBO ever did is available instantly uh, to stream on your phone or your mobile device or your iPad or your, or your Xbox or whatever, uh, give or take. But the, it requires an authentication with a cable company. So yeah. that seems to be the fig leaf where like, nobody wants to say, oh, we're going direct because cable companies will be super pissed. So instead they're like, okay, well, we're going to do this, but all they have to do is authenticate with you and it's just an extra service. So now your cable looks even better, except for I think what's going to happen is we see more of those uh, authentication-based services happen. We're going to see a virtual cable company that never lays a single piece of copper but buys virtual rights to let people cable authenticate without actually doing it. And it might be Dish because Dish is doing all kinds of crazy stuff, kind of giving the middle finger to the other cable companies because they're uh, being being third or fourth place. They kind of have nothing to lose. I think with Dish, you could actually, if you have a Dish subscription, you could use the Dish app. And watch it anywhere, right? I, I think that's how to do it. Like, and that's just it. Is there are people who get a disc, dish subscription and never bother with the dish? They only use the the digital stuff. Yeah, and I think that's great services. too. There are services that are like, hey, we will rent you a dish, so you can use Dish Network and sling, you know, slingbox style your content to any device you want. So, like right now, everyone knows the change is coming, and we're in that weird kludgy Rube Goldberg time where technically by the law or to keep this guy happy or whatever, we have to pretend like we're doing it this way. But really, we're cutting cable out in the middle. And cable's just trying to figure out a way to, uh, to hold on to as many customers as it can. Yeah, I mean, I don't think it'll ever go away. Uh, you know, even, even in 10, 20 years, I don't think the concept of cable's going to go away. But I do think it's, it's, they're going to have to change. They're going to have to evolve in order to keep their subscriptions. Yes. I oh, think the, the cable 100%. as we know it will be totally different, but I do think people are still going to be, you know, just we're just conformed to the idea of sending this bill every month and getting this stuff on the TV, and that's it. Yeah, and uh, I would imagine that uh, cable likes it that way. They love it. <laughs> <laughs> I would imagine that they're not thrilled with uh, changing stuff up, you know, but, uh, but it's going to happen. I mean, there's a freaking revolution happening, and, uh, and, and, and cord killers is where you can watch it all happen. Uh, phenomenal show, by the way. I know we got to wrap it up, but um, tell us, tell the audience for people who don't know Cord Killers, which I, I'm, I'm imagining 99% of our audience already does and they watch it, but per- let's pretend they don't. Where That's can they right. get information? How can they help you guys out? When are you doing the shows? Cordkillers.com is where you could go. Cordkillers.com slash live is where you can watch us record live every Monday at 5 30 Central Time. Uh, and uh, you can subscribe on the website. You can, of course, get it on iTunes or any of those other stuff. If you like the show so much, you want to throw us a couple of pennies, and I mean like literally pennies. It's, uh, I get excited when somebody pledges a nickel or a quarter per episode. I'm like, great, all of that stuff matters. Not as excited as when people pledge $5 an episode, though. Uh, and the uh, uh, yeah, all at cordkillers.com, and uh, I think you'll dig it. Of course, Patreon. NSFW show also. NSFW yes, show. Sir. Yeah, every Tuesday night on the Twit Network, me and Justin Robert Young do some comedy nonsense. Uh, and I'll tell you what, man, the biggest show, uh, like overnight in the last year, uh, Scam School's numbers on YouTube have exploded. Like if you, want, if you want to learn some bar tricks to score free drinks, head on over to YouTube.com slash Scam School. Phenomenal. Uh, Brian Brushwood, everybody. You can follow him on Twitter at Schwood. Uh, we're going to have all the information in our show notes when we post this. It should be posted within a day or two. Probably probably by the end of tonight, we'll have it on GFQ, and probably by the uh, weekend, we'll have it on the IIB. You can catch it there. We're on iTunes. We're everywhere podcasts are available. So subscribe to us. You can follow me on Twitter, at Andrew Zarian. Uh, if you are an internet broadcaster, if you are a podcaster, and you want to meet other people, and you want to learn more about this, because we're all learning as we're doing it, go to the website, ibroadcastnetwork.org that's ibroadcastnetwork.org you can sign up 
Membership is free. We don't charge anything for you to, to sign up. Uh, we also have a phenomenal message board there, a phenomenal forum, over a thousand people on there, a lot of experts, a lot of industry people, uh, always looking to help people. Uh, it's a great little community we got there, and I'm really proud of the people that are involved and they're supporting other people and they're emailing people. It's become its own little machine where I'm not even doing anything. I just show up and I read the forum post, so it's unbelievable. Uh, and that's it, guys. We'll see you all next week on the IAIB Spotlight. Good night, everybody.